listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. We've got Isaac, as always, in our headphones, doing up some spreadsheets, running the numbers and making sure we are factual because that's very important in uh, comedy podcasts. Um, (laughs) I think let's get rid of the prattle up top. Let's just dive into some of the biggest international news that Mm. I think has... I wasn't expecting it. Like 2020 has been a fucking wild year, but I wasn't expecting just this level of enormity to come at the end of it. People talk about like, you know, there being sometimes like an October surprise some years as well. But the thing that got me was that this was announced and people found out about it on social media. Yeah, you don't expect this from your world leaders. Absolutely wild. So in case, I mean, I don't know anyone who didn't hear about this. Obviously, it's it's fucking mental. Um, Scott Morrison built a chicken coop. Mm. Fuck me. On the weekend... On a weekend, yeah, at, yeah, yeah. At, at his at and his house. still found a way to make it just like subtly misogynist, which is just <laughs> hats off, <laughs> hats off to that doe-brained motherfucker. I respect the effort, honestly. Like you can't really like just on the face of it, you think it wouldn't be possible, and yet he managed it. So hats off to him. <laughs> and this article was only up for a couple of hours before it was taken down. So what are they hiding <laughs> yeah. from us? <laughs> <laughs> Reports are indicating that the chicken coop is not doing as well as publicly reported. Um, <laughs> probably. Because he doesn't know how to build a chicken coop. His, his wife's like, Scott, can we, honey, can we have a chicken coop? And he's like, sure, we've got a spare $400 million. I'll just get Circo on the phone. <laughs> Circo brand chicken coop. It's just a small module of refugee centre. Like, it's just a regular chicken coop, but it electrocutes the chickens occasionally. <laughs> Fuck. The Look, chickens are just in one of those pop-up UN tents. If you're not as chronically online as we all are, Scott Morrison uh, posted on Instagram about he's just he's just getting out there with a popped collar and he's putting together a chicken coop. And as some people pointed out, the photos of him putting together this chicken coop are one, of a chicken coop entirely already fucking made, and two, of a like what is obviously a brand new drill set. Like, it's, it's mm. brand new equipment bought fucking today to do it. Oh, no. but then- I mean, you're accusing him of not doing work, but he's holding up that brand new drill <laughs> next to that fully he's, assembled he's- chicken coop pretty convincingly. <laughs> he's pointing it at the camera like James Bond. I like the little bit of thing in his mouth as well to show that he's yeah. tough. But it's not, it looks like it could be a cigarette or it could be a nail, but it's just a like piece of paper or like it's, what yeah. is he holding in his mouth that tries? To, it's pure signifier. It is pure <laughs> signifier. It's nothing. It's just, well, people put something in their mouth when they build stuff. It's like, w- yeah, but they put something in their mouth when they need to like have hold something just they can't use their hands. Yeah, no, I need nah. a little paper snack. <laughs> um, but anyway, the fucking the 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 goons at the ABC also published an article about it. Um, they took theirs down. Uh, the Daily Mail has also published it with the lead line: Scott Morrison shows off his excellent DIY skills oh, by building oh a God. chicken coop dubbed Lodge Ladies as he reveals the very unusual names picked out for the hens. Wife Jenny and their two daughters will name Chooks after former PM's wives. <laughs> <laughs> I was discussing it with some friends and they were like, it feels kind of weird that he's named like some chickens after people because calling pets after people is already, it can be kind of weird. Like, is the, is the dog good? Is the cat okay? Are you naming them because you like the person or you hate them? And people like Sam Neill, he names like all his farm animals after like famous celebrities that he's friends with. And it's really wholesome and nice. It's really cute. When Scott Morrison does it, it just has the edge of malice and like weirdness. (laughs) Here are these wives of former prime ministers and politicians that I'm going to slaughter at Christmas. What was that? Nothing, nothing, nothing. I'm going to keep them locked up every night in my backyard. What was that? No, nothing. All good. I'm not going to cancel Scott Morrison for this, but I'm just saying a bit weird. I'm just imagining Scott Morrison sitting down just being like, and what was Julia Gillard's wife's name? <laughs> <laughs> can we can we can Fuck. we actually focus on the real news though, which is what happened to the cubby house he built two months ago? Uh, it's now a chicken. Because coop. we've all forgotten about that one. <laughs> cubby gate. Yeah, it's got some chicken wire across it now, it's just a chicken coop. Put some chicken wire across it and they put a fucking refugee in there. Yeah, it's yes, the, the goddamn sociopath. The back of his yard is just cluttered with little wooden buildings. <laughs> All non-union. Yeah, it looks like fucking. It looks like fucking Santa's elf town. It's these <laughs> tiny little rejected projects. <laughs> the thing that gets me is this was reported. Like the the reason that it's newsworthy is apparently like oh people were concerned that Scomo's never taken a day off because 
Oh, it's been a, no one been was a difficult year. That. We're worried that he's working too hard. Like, fuck off. No one but was also, concerned. He hasn't been to Hawaii for months. Yeah. That was the defense. It's like, oh, we're just making sure that people know that he's taken a day off. But showing pictures of him posing for a press like mm. release thing is not him taking a day off. He's doing a spot. He's doing yeah. a media spot. <laughs> they didn't send journos around and just happen to catch him building a chicken coop. Oh, guys, it's not a good time. I'm being cool and dadly. <laughs> Even on the scale of like publicity spots that MPs like and politicians generally tend to do, it's still like really up there and weird ones as like man trying to cosplay as a human being. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am human dad here with drill. I love that this was meant to be like just a little joke up the top and we've gone for seven minutes of ranting about, <laughs> <laughs> about the media landscape. Yeah, it's good shit. <laughs> Let's start off with some actual news, and it's actually good news this week, which is always nice. Um, wasn't expecting to have solidarity with these people, but look, we're all human, and I guess you can only be pushed so much. But the Community Public Sector Union, the CPSU, and workers at Centrelink have released an open letter to the government outlining some huge concerns that they have about how the government is handling their work and the response to the pandemic and the rate cuts that are coming up. So Solidarity, the CPSU and all the workers at Centrelink who are at the very least taking some tentative steps towards going on strike. Oh, this yeah. is something I want to say at the top and I will repeat it again. But guys, this is a really good first step. Go on strike. Do it. Yeah, just go. Fucking do it. Go on strike. Oh. I have a lot of sympathy for Centrelink workers because they have to see like the like the most despairing scenes every single day. Like I know like, you know, people's experiences with them are bad, but I have a lot more sympathy with people who are in these government jobs who have to do things that they don't agree with, but the choice is to have a job. Yeah. You know, to feed their families. And it's not the same as like private industry or even like, you know, the um the job providers who aren't government jobs. They're all private contracted out by the government. I don't have sympathy for them. It's an yep. interesting one because I, I always struggle with that because, I mean, the, the person who cuts off your payments who's working at Centrelink who has to cut off your payments because otherwise they're going to get fired and, you know, now their payments are cut off is... Uh, yeah. It's 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 like it's kind of scabbery. Like, it's kind of scabbery. Obviously, they're not breaking a strike, but they are, you know, like... Oh, you know, you've got to put food on your table, but the way that they're putting food on their table is by taking food off of other people's tables. Yeah, so, it's weird. Like, that's not really a defence. I mean, it's just exactly the game papers, please. Mm. Yeah. Shout out to Indie Darling. <laughs> yeah, it is, it's a weird one. So the open letter outlines the, um, the three main things that they're concerned about. Like I said, they are concerned about the rate of welfare being cut in general. Um, they are explicitly concerned about what they call their ability to help you or you know their ability to help people getting um, welfare, given the job cuts and the uh, conditions that they are under while they're trying to work through the pandemic, and they're also explicitly concerned about the privatization of welfare. We talked about how Serco mm. was running Centrelink uh, call centers for a little while as well, and they were to terrible conditions. And the government has been trying to privatize welfare since, I mean, explicitly since Abbott got in, but especially since like since Howard, essentially by like very subtly just selling off little bits and pieces where eventually you turn around and you go, oh shit, the majority of that system has been privatised and we just didn't notice it happening. So for them to come out and say that, um, specifically the quote is, the people working at Centrelink, Child Support and Medicare want you to know they are doing their best to help people get back on their feet despite these government changes. Which yeah, is pretty really strong good. language, but you should follow it up with a strike. Because yeah. otherwise, like McLean said, it is complex and you are like... Like, I don't know. It's tried to mention the Nazis all the time, but it is that thing of like, oh, just doing their job. No, that's not an excuse. Yeah. So if we don't consider that yeah. excuse, where do we draw the line back? At what point are you not a scab? See, when it comes to doing their jobs, I, my personal feeling when it comes to talking about welfare in any country is that the government always leads the conversation and therefore they always lead the sentiment. And I think because of Australia's sort of diminishing of what people think of people on welfare and the ability for people to get welfare, it actively, it makes people cruel and it hardens their hearts because mm, they yeah. lead that conversation <clears throat> by example. And yes, you're right, you know, it's a whole aspect of, you know, just doing my job. But I think there is a lot of still responsibility, still solely lies with the, the government to, for making people cruel 
in their yeah. jobs oh, for, for, sure. for leading yeah. that sort of sentiment and making you know people feeling like they're hardening their hearts towards people who are in poverty. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot of blame for Centrelink workers, and I think the big difference between them, I mean. Yeah, the big difference between Centrelink workers, and obviously they should go on, on strike if they can, but the big difference between them and someone like cops is the job of a cop going out there is often to make life more difficult for people, to arrest people or hassle people or whatever. Um, uh, the job of a Centrelink worker day-to-day is generally you're working in a shitty situation. You are denying people, but you're also like kind of providing access to the mega support systems that are there for them. And if you weren't there... If Centrelink shut down, a lot of people suddenly aren't getting those even meager support systems. Yeah, you're not getting new unemployed people signed on. Yeah. Because there's yeah. nobody to process yeah. that paperwork. And, and the alternative to Centrelink workers, you know, often is something like your robo-debt, which is a, a soulless computer going, none of you get payment. I did want to point out in terms of the RoboDebt stuff that there were actually some frontline staff that were leaking documents yes. from their managers. Yeah. To, to Evie's point, leaking documents from cruel managers encouraging them and telling them that they had to be cruel. So yep. there are some workers there that are struggling against the system. But I mean, in a fucking pandemic, it is tough to just sort of go, ah, quit your job on principle. Yeah, exactly. There's quitting your job and that's very difficult. But then there's also, and this is a classic lefty union uh, you know, a tactic in times like this, which is sabotage, and I can't Hell yeah. encourage that highly enough. Like, if you're doing that, if you're a Centrelink worker listening to this beautiful podcast, uh, the, you, you're sitting there, you're, you're doing your paperwork, you're doing some paperwork to get somebody on payments. Good job. You're doing somebody to kick somebody off payments. Hey, fuck up that paperwork. Just lose that. Make yeah. a, <laughs> make a mistake. Put the name Just on sabotage it. Sabotage it by giving people too much money. <laughs> Actions this week, if you've got any discretion anywhere in the Centrelink system, you skew it towards the unemployed and those that need welfare. And if you can get away with it, do your job as poorly as possible wherever it benefits people that need welfare. Do it. It'll feel real fucking good. Just being like the bumbling klutz, like, oh, sorry, did I not sign the document? Oops, I'll do it again. Does that mean they have to stay on payments for another month? Oh, sorry, boss. You'll feel fucking great. <laughs> and then, and then, go on strike. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. But if you're thinking, I have to kick people off payments because if I don't do it, somebody else will, I'm just going to say, then somebody else will go to hell and I'll hate somebody else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and ultimately, in the end, if there's like the difference between me feeling sentiment for um, Centrelink workers who are on like the front line and, uh, uh, say, employment office people who are the private sector part of the larger scheme, I don't feel sorry for those because those people because their bottom line relies on the employment service getting the profit, and I just don't care about that. So I don't yeah. feel sorry oh, yeah. for them. I mean, the whole premise of privatizing welfare is such a ridiculous situation. How do we it's like, make all right? What's welfare? So we've got to give away a bunch of money. <laughs> How do we profit off of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Give healthcare. Less of it. Healthcare and education are weird ones, but the idea of giving away money in a profitable manner is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Makes no sense whatsoever. Here's the alternative to a welfare system where you give people money when they're unemployed so that they can live dignified lives, um, and that is that you enslave people on on fruit farms. Um, <laughs> Fuck. That's how to make money off Centrelink. Those are basically your <laughs> options here in Australia. Yeah. You privatise Centrelink and that means basically you've enslaved people on fruit farms, um, which probably sounds familiar to you because generally whenever a fruit farm owner gets a bit unhappy or the unemployed numbers get high or there's a slow news week, someone in the government says, let's enslave people on fruit farms. Um, it, we've got a great Australian history of that. Um, we've got a great Australian present of that. At any given time, there are a lot of lawsuits and inquiries and royal commissions going into slaves on fruit farms. Um, so why not do it some more? <laughs> why not make it part of the official state apparatus instead yeah. of just doing it under the table? Why yeah. don't we put the, the fruit farm enslavement on the table? Because it's a bit ad hoc right now. Why are we talking about this, by the way? We should uh, mention why we're talking about this. So this all started to kick off again in a big way this week when a couple of different Liberal MPs such as John Alexander and Agricultural Minister uh, David Littleproud started talking about how we might run out of fruit again, guys, just as a warning. There's no workers mm. out on these shit 
fruit farms. And and none of the unemployed people want to go out there. None of them during a pandemic want to uproot their lives and go out and get paid 25 cents an hour or some shit to pick fruit. Um, this is something that we talked about on episode 32 with uh, when Noon was on as a guest. Great episode. Look it up in the show uh, notes. Noon from uh, Ospol Snackpot. Yes. Mm. And we talked about how back then, and that was, you know, like back years and years ago, a couple of weeks ago, um, when they were talking about how they're going to get people from overseas to pick our fucking fruit. And I was like, I mean, they always just- have been. Yeah, but, yeah. And, but, the, but during the pandemic, with record unemployment, they were going to bring people from mm. overseas. And we were like, why not just pay people in Australia to pick the fruit? And what they've done <laughs> instead is they've gone, what if we don't pay people in Australia to pick our fruit, right? We just hey? force them to. I think the, the yeah. funniest thing about that is that basically they want to maintain the current status of, like, you know, completely paying nothing for people to pick fruit to keep them in abusive environments. And every time people push back and say, nah, this option is still terrible. And they're like, but but what if we do it this way and but we fruit. still don't pay people money? <laughs> like, uh, but yeah. what about this way where we still make people indentured slaves? Yeah. Uh, so th- the way that fruit picking in Australia currently works, because we've only really spoken about it as uh, metaphors for not paying people at all, is uh, it's, it's a really common job for like backpackers uh, to uh, go and like pick fruit for a while. But... The uh, working conditions are terrible. The pay is always under the table. It's always like the massive wage theft going on. And mm. so when we're in the situation where they're like, why don't we just get like actual, uh, you know, employees instead of uh, working on this really insecure workforce, the fruit farms are like, but then we would have to pay minimum wage mm. and we would have to meet <laughs> like usual working conditions. And our business simply won't be profitable if we, if we treat our workers like humans. And instead of being like, why weren't you treating your workers like humans before? The government's like, oh shit, yeah, no, we can't have that. Let's just, the, the actual program that they're proposing is taking people who are on the dole and putting them on a work for the dole program to pick fruit, which is, hey, fruit farm owners, you still get your workers, you still don't have to pay them because the government's already paying them welfare and it doesn't count as a real job, even though all of us are talking about these jobs as critical for Australia's food mm. infrastructure. So maybe we should just actually pay them. But no, they're, they're just going to bend over backwards every single time to avoid actually paying the people who are picking the fruit reasonable and if, wages. If you're forced to do your job so that you get the doll, you can't say your job hypothetically, you know, is abusive or has terrible conditions or is in some way bad. You can't just be like, actually, I kind of want to quit this job, which is uh, how the supposed free market is meant to work. People are meant to be able to go, this job's no good. I'll move to a different, better paying job or a job with better conditions or something. You can't do that because then you lose your doll. You yeah. you you suddenly are homeless and unemployed and you can't even get welfare because the welfare is reliant on you having this job. Um, and it's important to note that also it's not just backpackers. It's not just people traveling around, having a bit of a fun time, working at a fruit farm so that they can earn some money to, to see more of Australia. Often fruit farms rely on people who are trying to immigrate to Australia well, sorry, yeah, I think I should back up a little bit. It's not just that backpackers regularly choose that work. It's a condition of being no, in this country to. for a certain amount yeah. of time that you have to pick fruit. It's working part of working visa stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You have to go out and get a rural job, and the vast majority of those rural jobs are fruit picking. And so these are now jobs where if you leave or quit or get fired for whatever reason, you're now deported or your visa is cancelled or or something terrible like that and for a lot of people this is just not something that can happen and so suddenly these fruit farm owners have almost the power of life and death over you they can choose whether or not you stay in australia and if you're someone with a shaky visa or who is who is you know in any kind of precarious situation like this is something you see commonly where there is no end to the amount of abuse that can be visited upon a vulnerable person like this when you you basically have their passport, you have their visa, you have their whole life in your hands. Um, And there are a lot of people who will take a lot of advantage of that. I mean, this is literally just the shape of human trafficking. Like most human trafficking these days doesn't include, you know, like just chaining somebody up to a a hook or whatever. It it, it is just like, yeah, we have this like terrible... thing hanging over you we have your immigration status or we or we have you know the immigration status of a loved one and and that will be jeopardized if you leave it's not that you're physically restrained from leaving it's just the way that people keep people enslaved is by having just these like sort of bureaucracy consequences on it and the fruit picking situation is human trafficking but perpetrated by the government 
I hate to point out the obvious as well, but whenever we talk about, you know, people on working visas in precarious employment and getting underpaid, usually the conversation happens whenever um, an Asian takeaway joint gets busted for employing people not not at a proper wage. It's usually Mm. very racially described. Mm. Um, But Mm. whenever that happens, you know, whenever this situation happens with fruit pickers and white employers doing it to their own employees, it never really gets described in the same panicky sort of way if, you know, gets the same kind of coverage at all. No, well, let's, let's, let's dig into how it is described by the fucking politicians and the media class of this country. Um, the, the Part of the reason we wanted to bring this up this week is just some of the absolutely, like, astoundingly smooth-brained takes that we've seen from the politicians and media class in this country. I moment. did a little Google. These articles are freaking everywhere, and they're everywhere. all positive about working on fruit farms. One of my favourite ones is Deputy Prime Minister uh, Michael McCormick saying uh, it would be a great Instagram moment for them to get up the tree, pick some fruit. Who knows? They might take some friends with them. They might make new friends. They might meet the love of their life. Shut the fuck up, Michael McCormick. It's slavery. That's not why I do a job. This is the kind of statement where I'm 100% not sure if A, he understands what fruit pickers actually go through Mm. or B, he knows and he's definitely trying to illustrate a much more rosier view of things. Well, you can't pay rent with new friends. Given that he is a Nationals uh, member, they are the party of like the rural Mm. constituents, he fucking knows what happens at fruit picking farms. A hundred percent. Although Michael McCormick was the (laughs) same guy who, when grilled on whether he would prioritise coal over farmers, was like, (laughs) no, no, I'm for the farmers. And they're like, can you name a single (laughs) time (laughs) Where you've prioritised farmers over coal, and he's like, "Well, obviously we support farmers." Oh no, no, name a time. I'm not saying. I'm not saying he's good at his job. I'm just saying he's aware of the bare minimum of his constituents. I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I reckon he he understands how the rort works. He just doesn't give a shit about the farmers themselves. He's too rich. I think that if you said your constituents to Michael McCormick, like or Twiggy Forest, the mineral the mineral council. (laughs) I've just realised that. Okay, I love a bit of reality TV show, and. I, I just watched the last season of Farmer Wants a Wife. It was dreadful, as you can imagine. Um, but one of the things that they use to promote Farmer Wants a Wife um, in the lead up to the season airing is that they have lots of ads about how successful all the previous seasons have been of Farmer Wants a Wife and how all these like matches have happened and they've had so many kids. It's been like the most successful dating show on Australian television, mm. allegedly. Um, citation needed for that, I'm sure. Um, but <laughs> legitimately starting to feel like it's a psyop to say, hey, farmers are so good and you can marry oh. one. <laughs> yeah. Do you reckon it's like how all the cop shows are made by the cop? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. I'm getting full galaxy brain right now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, hang on. I just want to quickly pile on Michael McCormack. <laughs> He's the same guy who a year or two ago when we were like, Oh no, we've got to we've got to stop burning all this coal because climate change is sinking our Pacific neighbors. He said island nations want Australia to shut down just so they can survive. Oh my um, god. Pac- this is this is a quote. Pacific island nations affected by the climate crisis will continue to survive because many of their workers come here to pick our fruit. So he's like it's great they oh, go underwater cuz then they're forced to pick our fruit. Farmer wants a slave, am I right? Oh, boy. we're going to keep paying him the bare minimum. Yeah, we love a climate refugee. He understands how the system works, just like Dutton and his au pairs and George Christensen and his redacted. Michael McCormick mm-hmm. knows exactly how this exploitative uh, system of labour internationally works. He fucking gets it. And and people will sometimes push this whole, like, oh, fruit-picking farmers, they're just trying to get by. They need their workers. But it's like, you've got to remember that a lot of these farmers are not your little mum and pop farmers. They're not just running a couple hundred acres, acres of fruit farms. Yeah, some of those people are. But some of these fruit farms, you need to imagine in the same way as you imagine the coal industry or something, because that is the kind of political power they have, and that is the kind of wealth that large farming companies have in this country. They are huge, powerful, evil industries that don't care about their workers. And again, I I come from a farm. My family owns a farm. Occasionally, we get backpackers coming by, helping out doing farm stuff just, for six months or something. Just walking around right. a dusty road, and they look up, and <laughs> no, your no, dad's no. on the porch waving. He's like, do you want to come in and help pick some fruit? And they're like, yeah. And, and then your dad gets the shackle <laughs> on the ankle. He's like, now you're here forever. But, uh, you know, 
I come from Western Victoria, so there's no fruit, so I'm one of the good guys. <laughs> just these poor backpackers because it's not fruit. Yeah. <laughs> the backpackers looking around like, what are we supposed to pick? And your family's like, ah, hey, let's. You want a cup of tea? We actually have a guy on the farm right now who I feel really sorry for, not because it's bad conditions, because the conditions are quite nice, um, but because he's frigging stuck in country Victoria during a <laughs> pandemic. Oh, he's from no. Uruguay. Oh, actually, <laughs> yeah, that sucks. So there was also this article going around in the Sydney Morning Herald uh, about the, the the promise of finding the love of your life while picking fruit uh. and like talking to like couples who got together while fruit picking and just absolutely ridiculous propaganda. The the son who they're interviewing in that article, his dad is a farmer. Like the entire thing is just about how his dad managed to to snooker this girl into being into a relationship with him. Uh, so he didn't even, like, m- meet another worker on the farm. No. He was like, hey, you look cute. By the way, my dad owns this place. I'd hate for your visa status to be in jeopardy if you yeah, got fired. I was, I was just about to say, with all of the stuff that we've been talking about, how bad these conditions are, and it should be said as well, not only are there royal commissions, well, royal commissions, mm. but there are large federal um, investigations into the systemic issues of fruit picking, there is also a litany of sexual harassment claims mm. that keep coming out of these farms. And so when the Sydney Morning Herald writes this puff piece uh, love amongst the love among the pawpaws and shit like that I can't help but Ugh. feel like it's one of those articles that you read about like the you know like the Kurdish nurse that fell mm. in love with someone who like she was like like stopping the bleeding when some guy stood on a landmine and they come together in love or like you know asylum seekers and they find each other just smashing people together in these horrific conditions and then being like oh but look sometimes people bond it's like, fuck you. That is absolutely yeah. besides the point. What the fuck are you talking about? Just to underline your point, uh, Kristen from the AUWU, who's been keeping track of ads on Seek um, during the pandemic and who's applying for them and the numbers of kind of like, you know, loads of unemployed people who are applying for very few jobs. She actually found this job, which is um, a- advertising for a second year visa farmhand. Um, but also they need to be a nanny and a cleaner. Mm. And it's for oh, the Peppertree Hill Group. In the Blue Mountains in the Central West. The description, and I'm going to read it word for word, <laughs> says, looking for a female, and females in capital letters, backpacker, <laughs> looking for their second year visa, open-minded, mature, <laughs> driver's license, ability to drive manual, and psychically fit. Now, that's a typo, but I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> Whether or not it's a typo, it's bad. Yeah. It's like I, and I feel like that's also life. illegal that you can ask for a female it's backpacker. Extremely but illegal. Maybe it's not. It's, it's okay. extremely illegal. And th- well, this is this is the kind of thing that is a, a real example of of intersectionality. Which, and I am not the kind of person to be talking about intersectionality on a podcast because I'm a white <laughs> male from a farm. Um, <clears throat> but when but when you have conditions like this, which are you've got vulnerable people working on farms. Yeah, it sucks, even if you're some white guy from France being a backpacker. But it's exacerbated so much more if you are female or vulnerable or poor or from, you know, a, a, a war-torn country or you're Asian or black or can't speak the language very well, anything like that. It becomes so much worse. Yeah. Um, and so it... it it's this absolute combination of factors. And this is even ignoring the long, long history that probably a lot of these farming areas and families have, which is literal slavery from Pacific Islands to pick your cane and your fruit and stuff. So this is something that the government shouldn't be innocent about. Alan Tudge is a criminal. He's a criminal. <laughs> Alan Tudge should be in jail. Alan Tudge, a federal MP, is a fucking criminal. He's a kidnapper and a criminal and should be in jail. Tell us why, Mitch. Nah, moving on. Federal. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Alan Tudge um, was immigration minister when uh, someone who was in detention was told he should be free. And Alan Tudge was told, hey, you have to release this guy legally. He's a free man. And Alan Tudge went, no. And he kept him locked up for five fucking days in detention while he legally should have been free. The story about this is that there was a judge that had a, like, you know, one of those quote-unquote scathing uh, reports for Immigration Minister Alan Tudge saying that he, his action was disgraceful. Uh, the, the reporting in the New Daily calls it from Josh Butler, calls it a blistering federal court judgment uh, where a judge, Je- uh, Justice Jeffrey Flick, said that Alan Tudge engaged in criminal conduct, left himself open to appeals and acted disgracefully. I'm going to go a step further. 
I reckon Alan Tudge is fucking scum of the earth. I reckon if there was ever reason to bring back the pillories, to bring back like public shaming, it'd be for fucking Alan Tudge. What he did was disgusting. I'm I'm just getting some deja vu. Alan Tudge is the same guy who ignored all of the reports that Centrelink was illegal. Not Centrelink, that robo debt was illegal. He was one of them, and yes. would harm people. He was like the minister or something. Yeah, he was in, he was involved in that as well. He was one one of the uh, ministers in 2017 that was told that the uh, robo debt scandal would be unenforceable, and he was told that a number of times and didn't act on it. So it he turns was out human what services Alan Tudge minister likes doing. Go. What Alan Tudge likes doing is just ignoring the law. Mm. It's just ignoring things that he's told. And this is what the judge said as well. He, he likes to act like he's above the law and he can't. But can we just keep in mind that we had a fucking Afghani asylum seeker who should have been free that Alan Tudge kept in detention? That's kidnapping. That's yeah. craven. That is disgusting. That is like... That, like, there, there are no real words to cover it, mainly because I'm foul-mouthed and calling him like a, a, a shithead or whatever just doesn't have the punch to it anymore. But that is that is mm. demonic. That is legitimately... That should cause you to lose sleep for the rest of your fucking life, that you were willing to play these types of politics with human lives. It's just so... It's so hard to think about it. Like, you know, I know everyone talks about Peter Dutton and he looks soulless and everything, but there's so many of these people in... You know, and they all keep their jobs. Government. Yes. Nothing yeah, happens. because th- th- this, this is just them hitting their KPIs. Dutton, mm. how I many people have you kept locked up for a while? Oh, 26. We've got a whole family that's left, left in detention. Alan Tudge is like, oh, I've got this one that the judge wants released. Oh. Then they do a line of coke and break a table. <laughs> I like how ice cold all these people are. And meanwhile, Scott Morrison's got that little boat statue in his office that says, I stopped these. And that's <gasps> how big. Yeah. I think that it's mm. worth pointing out that while Justice Flick said that Alan Tudge is not above the law, he was declared his, his actions were declared criminal by a federal court uh, mm. over ni- like ten days ago, I think. He very much and is above the law. Yeah. He's still a minister, like in a very real sense. Justice Flick is wrong. Alan Tudge is above the law. He can yeah. break the law. He can have his co- conduct declared criminal, and he can remain a minister. Like in, in what sense is he not above the law? He shouldn't be uh, above the law, but he very much is legally. Practically, doesn't matter. But legally, McLean, the laws are such that, oh, he's broken some. Right, but that's the thing. His legal status <laughs> is the law doesn't apply to him. So, <laughs> who gives a shit? Exactly. Yeah, so Alan Tudge, fuck you. Where are the police kicking down his door at 1am? Um, the police do not exist to punish crimes in general. They only exist to punish small-scale crimes by the working class or lower Not, socioeconomic people. I mean, look, if you want to get reductive, the cops only exist to enforce... Protect property? Private property yeah. rights. Yeah. 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 <sighs> That's a downer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, just in more uh, bald-faced criminal news, um, it's come out that the um, federal liberal national government had, at some point a few years ago, paid more than 10 times the market rate for a parcel of land. There was this parcel of land near an airport that was worth $3 million, and they paid $30 million for it. And they paid $30 million to someone who was their donor. Crazy. Absolutely fucking crazy how that works out. It turns out, I mean, this is the thing we talk about every fucking week, but this is this is just money laundering, but it's legal, so you can't call it money laundering. But mm. there was these, uh, who is it? The Leppington Pastoral Company uh, is a huge liberal national donor. They do it all the fucking time. They love it. And six staffers who were involved in buying this piece of land, six LMP staffers, declared conflicts of interest in the case oh. because they had some sort of financial stake in it. And the, 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 they just reviewed it and they went, oh, yeah, no, actually, that's that's fine. You don't really have a conflict of interest. That's all good. Oh, you're paying 10 times the market rate. Yeah, that's all cool. What, what are we going to put on the paperwork when we go to the media about this? What they did was they called it speculative industrial rezoning potential. So the valuer that they got on board, who was probably mm. also a fucking liberal donor, looked at the parcel of land and went, look, yeah, at the moment it's only worth $3 million, but in maybe 10 years, it could be worth 10 times as much. So instead right. of selling it in 10 <laughs> years' time, the Liberal Party went, oh, we'll just pay for that price now and just hope it comes to fruition. That's wild. Yeah, Fuck I mean, that's me. the classic way to invest in property, right? Is you look at the property <laughs> and then you think, the value of that property is going to go up, so I'm going to... I'm gonna gonna pay the. It's gone up price. I see. More broadly, more broadly, that's just investing. Where you buy a thing and you go, hang on now. If I buy this, I might make a bit of a profit off it. Fuck. Because the price will go up, and that just wouldn't be fair. I don't want to be. That's such a good. Point. I don't want to be. I don't want to be like gaining off off this thing that that you could have. 
I'll just pay you the whole lot right now. So I don't benefit at all. They are committed to making sure they don't do anything left wing. And something left wing <laughs> would be investing in public property. They can't do I it. Think, they are just it's, it's like it's like that. Jim Carrey and Liar Liar. They're just like, well, we'll pay you three we'll pay you three we'll pay I you think thirty million dollars for it. And they just can't do it. They can't do I think, it. I think they've made an up, up an excuse. I think this whole oh what it'll be worth to, in ten years thing is entirely bullshit. They just went, How can we give as much taxpayer money to our mates as possible? Let's just give it to them. Oh, why'd you do that? Oh, it's because it's going to be worth a bunch. No, it depends, I, I, it depends I think, on what you I mean think, by I bullshit. Think the, I think the, the, the flaw in that, uh, the, that sort of setup there of like, you know, oh, what do we, what do we say when somebody asks us why we did it <laughs> is uh, the point where somebody asks them why they did it. Like, <laughs> oh, gosh, we're doing this big old like money laundering shit where we just give $30 million to one of our donors. What if the media gets hold of it? I don't know. What if the media gets hold of it? What are they going to do? Publish a, a, a new piece about how great it is to overpay for land near an airport and just talk about how fucking handsome Alan Tudge is? Who gives a shit? They're never hey, going to hold us to account. We hey, just write on a piece of paper, what are you going to do? And we just yeah. hold it up to the camera and all of Australia is like, I don't know. <laughs> Look, hey, I are you guys say, money laundering? Yeah, how I'm, much do you want? <laughs> we are reading this from a Guardian article that is critical on it. So I think, like, a lot of the media is fucking garbage, especially the ABC at the moment, do better. But, like, yeah, the Guardian did report on it. But the main point is that, like, the old media has no way of holding these people to account anymore. So send us a rating on iTunes, tell your friends about Not Good Enough, and spread the word because <laughs> podcasters are doing it. You're not going to see someone at The Guardian <laughs> calling Alan Touch a cunt, are you? No, it's podcasters. Podcasters <laughs> are holding these people to account. Also, if you can get this episode into the ears of Alan Tudge in any way, please do so because otherwise, I don't know, we're not... What are we going to um, do? And I... <laughs> it's... A- it's also a classic thing where the government doesn't just sell stuff, doesn't just buy stuff for way too much. They also sell stuff for way not enough where it's going to make a private company some money. Like, this is really reminding me of this time when I think it was the New South Wales government sold uh, a coal power station. Like, this really shitty old coal power station. They sold it for a million dollars, which is like, okay, let's just That's think about the kind of house you could buy in Melbourne for a million dollars. <laughs> it probably wouldn't even generate its own electricity. You could have bought an entire... <laughs> coal power station on the shores of Lake Macquarie for a million dollars. I think it's a seaside property. And then they reevaluated the actual value of this coal power station at $730 million once it had been sold. There's this thing, right? So we're all aware that the Liberal Party are good economic managers. Like that is the thing that they're really good at. And I think that the way that they're really good at it is... They look at like all the businesses in Australia and then just like give them a shit ton of money. Mm. And then they're just like, they're making huge profits. The economy's going gangbusters. <laughs> but the real problem is dictated, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> So we've been in a lockdown for seven and a half years now here in Melbourne. Um, our dictator state premier is it? Mm-hmm. The, would it be a state dictator if Dan Andrews was to be a dictator? Would it be? Would we be a sovereign state like North Korea, or would just be? Would it just be state dictator? <laughs> it's funny that you can be a dictator as a state part of a federal system, yeah, it's crazy. which you technically don't run. But hey. Is our DMZ located on, like, the Sydney and New South Wales border? (laughs) Yeah, the Albury-Wodonga border. (laughs) Albury-Wodonga's a war zone right now. There's just barbed wire throughout the town. (laughs) Um, So a bunch of reporting has come out that is... I mean, we were talking about this off mic, but, like, Dan Andrews has done a shit job at managing the lockdown in Victoria, and it has nothing to do with what the mainstream media and the Liberal Party are trying to skewer him on. Mm -hmm. Nothing that they are talking about is actually the problem with Dan Andrews. In some respect, his lockdown has been... I mean, it's demonstrably worked at lowering the numbers, but in some ways it has actually been good. But some reporting has come out over the last week that shows just how absolutely fucked Dan Andrews is, and they're not talking about it at all. Why? Because they're fucking racists as well, and they actually like this part of it. Um, The main two bits of reporting that have come out have shown that, firstly... Indigenous Australians and uh, those born in Sudan or with Sudanese heritage collectively have made up about 10% of all the COVID fines handed out in Victoria, despite the fact that they're about 1% of the population. 
That's it's almost like absurd. It's almost mm. like we knew this was going to happen when they locked down the commission housing, when they locked down lots of precarious areas where they've had pol- over policing in yeah. uh, in areas which are, have a higher percentage of Sudanese populations and uh, indigenous populations. And we we everyone was saying this at the time. This is mm. going to negatively affect them. They're going to be fined. And it turns out that happened. Yeah. Um, the other the other main point as well is that we are moving through lockdown and if you don't know, the Victorian method at the moment is just to um, see what the numbers are doing, change the lockdown accordingly. See what the numbers are doing, change the lockdown accordingly and also not just stick to the lockdown plan, but if it turns out we need to like focus on uh, healthcare, we might target that. We won't because they're cowards, but we could is the idea. And <laughs> so one of the things that uh, Dictator Dan has done recently is to say that, look, you can have certain types of gatherings and there's no curfew and we've, we've, we've opened up some things here, but we're going to be issuing nearly $5,000 fines for people who are having big gatherings that are not allowed to be having. And this quote blew my fucking mind when he said that Victoria Police will rarely use discretion when issuing $5,000 corona fines for unlawful gatherings in Melbourne. That means nothing. All Mm. I could think about when they mentioned this fine is how just before this second lockdown, everyone was keen to blame the fact that people were having gathering, like religious gatherings for people getting more coronavirus within their families. When the people who are at those gatherings, in fact, got it from precarious work when ho- working yep. in hotel quarantine, working in healthcare, and, you know, and all these people had multiple jobs where they got infected. And that, of course, was to blame, but it's much easier to blame the religious gathering. I mean, that's yeah. been the issue the whole time, and it's still the issue. We had, I think it was 15 new cases in Victoria a couple of days ago, and all but, I think, two of those yeah. were healthcare and aged care work. Like, there's, these transmissions aren't happening from people hanging out at homes or at parties and things because people aren't doing those things, partly. But all of the policing is focused on just this potential, oh, no, people are going to be getting together in big house parties. There's no cops going to workplaces, keeping an eye on aged care things because that's a private company. Oh, we've got to let them make money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and and yeah, you mentioned the discretion thing and and you're probably going to go into it more but I'm going to steal it. Um the fact that they're saying police will rarely use discretion. The police have discretion here. They have full discretion. No yeah. matter how much or how little you're using that yeah. discretion, whether you find everybody, whether you find nobody, that is entirely up to your discretion. That's you what can't discretion not is. use that <laughs> yeah. discretion. Yeah. If you yeah. have discretion, you're using it every time. Mm. Yeah. Like the idea that they will you can't not use discretion. If you are handing out a fine, you have discressed that there is a fine to be handed out. That's the word. Like, I understand what he wanted to say. Yeah, if he meant to say cops will usually hand out their fines. Or just, or I think the point is supposed to be the Victorian police will just be... They'll, if they see you in a gathering, that you're not going to have much of an excuse. You're going to cop a fine. Which is like, also... Not the point. No. Cops still have discretion in those moments. Yeah. I will also point out that cops are humans and actually they always have discretion. Yeah. <laughs> Even when the law says you have to give a fine, the cop is the only person who knows that they saw something happening. They can always look the other way and often they do. Yeah. Hmm. A cop Even- always has discretion because they are an autonomous human. They're not a, a just like a, a, a fucking robotic yeah, tool of the state Dynamics that doesn't dog. have personhood <laughs> while they're on the clock. Not yet. They're a they're a person. <laughs> they always have discretion. The, the, yeah, the idea that a, a cop can sometimes have discretion, but sometimes they're just acting to enforce the law. Yep. Bullshit. That's yep. an excuse. Um, and that's a classic, like, even with something pretty, pretty cut and dried, like a speeding fine. Oh, you've been doing 80 in a 60 zone. The cop can choose to let you off for whatever reason, or they can choose to go a bit harder and not only give you that speeding fine, but take a good hard look at your car, take a good hard look at your rego, decide to maybe try and hit you with some more stuff, maybe run your plates if they want. Um, I don't know. Maybe they always have to run your plates. I don't know how it works. I'm not a cop, Um, which is why I'm on this podcast. (laughs) You have to tell us if you are, Lane. The other, the other thing that's come out, which I know specifically, I think Evie and I had meltdowns this week when we saw this this piece of information come out. But nobody I'm knows. I'm so mad about it. 
<laughs> Nobody knows who decided to use private security for the Victorian hotel quarantine fuck-ups. So for listeners who might not be aware what's happening in Victoria and what led to the second lockdown, um, there was a fuck-up in that there was lots of precarious employees who were security guards at hotels that were used for quarantine for recently arrived travellers. And the problem is, is that the new wave of COVID cases started from there in that there were travellers that came back with COVID. They gave it to security guards. They gave it to other workers at the hotels. Those workers went to their other jobs and to their families and spread COVID from there. Some of them It was a were, shit show. Well, yeah, ex- extreme shit show. Some of them were also healthcare workers and they spread it to aged care homes. The training was terrible. They were not given adequate PPE. Yeah. The, the whole situation was just a, a Multiple big Multiple points of failure. Every yeah. single point of failure where it could have failed, it did. Yeah. Uh, the state organized a commission into investigating why the fuck it, it went so badly and as, as well as uncovering those things like bad training, low PPE, that sort of thing. Um, the, the one big question came up, which is just like, whose decision was it to use private security in the first place? Yeah. Who signed and, off on uh, it? <laughs> and big question mark still. It, big question mark still. And multiple people have been saying, I don't know who was responsible, including Dan Andrews himself. There is one document at the heart of all this which has a signature on it and that signature is redacted. So I guess we'll never know. <laughs> it's so fucking <laughs> wild. That wild we are, we are, when we say we don't know who signed off on uh, private security, we're being literal. There is a signature. Mm. The, private security was signed off on by some person. With a signature. This shits me particularly because <laughs> redaction is usually used for commercial sensitivity or for legal privilege. None of those things apply here. Yeah, it's just routine redaction. These are public servants spending public funds. Yeah, so just um, for reporting in The Guardian, I want to read like the direct quote is that um, the starting date on the contract is 29th March. But the contract was signed on 9th of April. The signatures are redacted. We know the date it was signed. Everyone is asking who knew that we were going to be using private security guards. And literally everyone from Dan Andrews down has gone, fuck, I don't know who it was. Could be anyone. Literally one person at least signed it. (laughs) And the idea is, oh, it's redacted. We don't know. It's like, well, Mm. but who redacted the document? Who applied the redaction? uh, Everyone in Victorian government, if it was you, put your hand up. Like, it's not like, oh, we can't figure out. Like, somebody knows. Somebody's keeping quiet. Also, the contract, the, the, the reason The Guardian mentions the dates there is because the signature came, like, nearly two weeks after the start date of the contract, which means that a private security company, this is a $30 million contract hiring a private security company to work for the government. They were working for nearly two weeks without even, like, the, the, the signature wasn't even on the contract. There was no signed document, <laughs> yeah. which... I've spoken to, to some public it. servant friends about this, and this is a fairly usual sort of circumstance mm. where they'll need to hire somebody that for like a quick, pretty quick turnaround job. Bureaucracy, the wheels of bureaucracy don't move that quickly, so they'll start the job while the contract is being sorted out, mm. and then they'll get the signature later. That's pretty common, you know. Which you I can sort of understand. You do the, the paperwork or whatever. Later. You do the paperwork later, but one. That's stupid. If your bureaucracy wheels don't move quickly enough to hire somebody to do an urgent task when there's an urgent task, then you need to update your bureaucracy so that it can handle urgent tasks. But also, oh, it's pretty normal for a contract to start like before it's signed. Shouldn't apply yeah, when fucked. it comes to hiring a private security force. That's fucked. To hire a private security force for $30 million, with, like a government when they're hiring a private security force, should have to go through some checks and balances, <laughs> right? And it's not even just a, high, a private security force. Like my sort of feeling about it, and I know like a lot of medical professionals' peop- uh, opinions about it, is not just that there should have been private security guards. It should have been, you know, medical professionals deployed out on force to make sure that people know what's happening, to give them proper safeguards, to give them proper equipment. And like to not make people feel like they're being imprisoned for having a disease, to actually explain the situation and have a better circumstance where people can be contained and also not spread the disease. There were many ways in which they could have done this well. The, the thrust of the argument is, is that it's laid out on the table. They cut corners. They hired the wrong people. They did, as I said before, they all the, every single fault point 
that could have gone wrong did go wrong. And it is just, (laughs) it still blows my mind that they've redacted that one signature and are like, cool, I guess we're just going to move on from this. My yeah. issue with uh, case this, closed. This is it's not. <laughs> this is what I keep getting stuck on. Is okay. You had the contract. You made some shit decisions. Two weeks later, someone signed off on that contract. What is the purpose of a signature on a contract? Like, what is the only and entire reason someone signed that contract is to indicate when you sign any contract that, yeah, I'm putting my name on this. This is fine. I personally sign off on this. I agree that this contract is okay. And if there's any issues with that. You've got my signature, which is attributable to me. It's my identifying icon. You can say, hey, you signed this. When you redact a signature, it defeats the entire point of a sig- Why even bother signing a contract? Why not just sign it with a black text align? <laughs> it's like that. It's like that idiom. There's that saying. Um, oh, you know, who signed off on this? It's like it's like a it's like a metaphor referring to signatures and how they work. And the what one used thing, for. the yeah. one thing that you shouldn't be able to redact, or if you redact that, <laughs> just redact the entire fucking contract. Yeah, the idea that like the signature's redacted, but we didn't shred it. So okay, <laughs> which fucking idiot did that? The, the meta thing that really bothers me about this entire, like you know, the failure that led to the second lockdown is, like, I am a very vocal critic of Dan Andrews, as is everyone on this podcast. But Fuck what it. really gets me is, is that surely you would look at everyone who's on your opposition and everyone who's in the media who really wants you to fail and just think I need to do this in a way that I don't completely fuck up and he fucked it up he, he had the easiest layup to make sure that there wasn't a second <laughs> lockdown and he did yeah. it he's a, la- he's a labor guy they love fucking up that's their whole yeah. point just amazing to me just gave them a free pass like I'm not like a, I'm not like a you know a, a pro sorry I'm not an anti-lockdown person because people think that you should either be an anti-lockdown person or pro I stand with Dan but it just it just giving away an easy win to the opposition every time it just it just it's extraordinarily bad politician as well right it's just fortunate for us here in Victoria that the opposition is so <laughs> stupid that when they're given this easy layup, they also just sort of slap it out of bounds. <laughs> they managed to look at this and they're like, oh, where Dan Andrews went wrong is he believed that the virus existed in the first place. <laughs> Didn't open the border with Western Australia. I love the idea of like there's a basketball game and the ALP have got like a layup and they shoot it and it's about to just hit only net and another ALP guy just slaps it away from the rim. like, yeah! And then you zoom yeah. back and it's just the ALP playing themselves on a basketball court it's like yeah take that <laughs> fucking oh, i'm gonna take this episode again just a little moment to say anthony albanese is a fucking useless prick as well yeah. <laughs> with the investigation into the quarantine the the nobody knows who decided to go with private security but it has come out pretty clearly how that decision got made, which is they were like, we're going to need some security for the quarantine. And because they're Victorian Labour, everyone was like, the police! Mm. Uh, And then (laughs) the police turned out to be in the room and they were like, ah, nah, we don't feel like that one. Like, we'll do the tower lockdown because that's like, you know, we get to tackle a brown person to the ground, but hotel quarantine? It's just sort of like, who's in in hotel quarantine? Just like tourists who are rich enough to travel, right? They're probably going to be mostly white people. We don't want to police them. Can't you just make a private security get it? So if you come on, so so if, so just in, Victoria Police, yeah, just 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 in case McLean's uh, <laughs> act out got away from everyone, um, the Victorian Police d- declined to help the Victorian government in um, <laughs> being the security guards at hotel quarantine. They just said, sorry. "No, we don't want to." And so instead of like the, the, Victoria's options, then but were sort you of work like, well, for us, nurses, I guess, or private security. And again, as McLean said, because it's the Labor government, they went, "Well, we need someone with guns and weapons," <laughs> and so they had to go with uh, private security. And, and this is the thing as well. I just I can't get over the fact that this private security firm that they initially hired on the 29th of March, when the contract was signed on the 9th of April. Then also just hired more security guard companies. Like they mm. were just like the top of this like intricate web of security guard companies. And then part of the fuck up that always blows my mind as well, because we like to talk about big systemic issues here on Not Good Enough, was that a whole bunch of these uh, guards and people that were working there weren't talking to contract tracers properly 
because <sighs> they had too many jobs. They were acting illegally. And if they stopped working, which they would have to do if they were being honest, then they would lose their jobs and they wouldn't be able to get welfare from our federal fucking government. And let's be clear here. Also, the contract tracers were also private contractors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised they weren't cops. <laughs> it's just insane. I feel like it. <laughs> Fuck. So anyway, yeah. So uh, dictator Dan, more like a disaster capitalist Dan. I think, mm. does that work? Not only does the buck stop nowhere, there's not even a buck. <laughs> <laughs> there's one last thing that I want to hit before we wrap up, and this is jumping back in the conversation a little bit, but it's just a, a bit of a prediction as we come into the festive season where early on in the year, people were criticising Muslims because they were spreading the virus because they insisted on attending Eid family gatherings. Mm-hmm. And don't they know that there's a pandemic on? Mm. And Can't now, as we family. come into Christmas, I just want to say <laughs> there's going to be a lot of those same people being like, oh, you've got to have your family over for Christmas, though. It's Christmas. Yeah. It's like, it was Eid before, it's Christmas now, it's the same thing. Like, you shouldn't be having big gatherings. It, it, come on, it's Christmas is not a valid no, excuse. Only- but at least... Be consistent. If you were criticizing the well, Muslims for having Eid gatherings, you've got to put the fucking foot down on Christmas because it's the same fucking thing. Well, McLean, not if you're a roaring racist, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, I forgot about racism again. Yeah, Come on. Yeah. <laughs> if you're criticizing the Muslims for having Eid gatherings, just shut up. Basically, um, <laughs> shut your I fucking think mouth. <laughs> maybe Christmas will maybe Christmas will be okay just because we don't have much virus right now. But the point being, I wasn't criticizing aid, so I get to have an opinion. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> everyone, shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's the thing is, we know that it was insecure work, like it was all yeah. workplace. It was almost all workplace trans- transmission that was causing the the, the outbreak. And so mm. to criticize, like, oh, family gatherings, like. That's the thing that Dan Andrews did wrong, is focused on social shit instead of workplace shit, where the actual problem was. He continues to do that. And the liberals are like, oh, he did a lockdown. (laughs) They would have been immediately worse. It's just that everyone in politics is such a bunch of shit. It's deliberate framing. (laughs) It's such deliberate framing that... Like, my fear is that there will be another wave if they haven't adequately taken care of the precarious work situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, uh, um, aged care workers still continue to get sick on a daily basis. It's where the, in- the entire infection is happening. Exactly. Yeah. And so another wave will happen if they haven't fixed that. And, you know, I'm really pissed off about Dan Andrews framing, but also take care of that in the background if you don't want to, you know, magnify that. But also I hate you, Dan Andrews. Mm. <laughs> yeah. In, in a very real sense, capitalism and racism are the real diseases but neither of our major political parties are even close to grappling with that. Shout-outs this week. (laughs) (laughs) Shout-outs this week. Ozpol Snackpod did a fantastic episode this week. They are a uh, fantastic little Melbourne podcast. They did an app focusing on the um, Maritime Union of Australia and their recent uh, strike action and threatened strike action on Patrick's. So Patrick's is an import exporter. They're a stevedore. And the Maritime Union of Australia was like, can we have some extra money? Then COVID hit and they went, oh, can we have a modest amount of money? And Patrick went, ah, you're going to ruin Christmas and sick people are going to die. Anyway. Listen to Ozpol Snack Pod. They did a really good um, job of explaining it. I kind of wanted to talk about it this week on Not Good Enough, only because I mentioned it before when we did when we did an episode on um, how we sort of got radicalized and how we got into left politics. But my dad, when I was nine, was in the Maritime Union of Australia, and they went on strike, and he was on the picket lines when they were fighting against Patrick's. At the docks in Brisbane and Sydney, which is exactly the same thing that is happening now. It is fucking incredible to me that back in 98, the same thing happened. So check out Ospol Snack Pod. They do a deep dive into both of those things. And so now I can just shout out my dad. Good job, dad. Thanks for yeah, radicalizing me. Shout out to me. Mitch's dad. <laughs> if, I, if you ever hear about me burning down something and getting arrested, it's entirely your fault. Sorry, man. <laughs> 
another really good podcast that I wanted to shout out this week is uh, Tom Ballard's podcast. He just has a, a variety of different guests on, but uh, a, a recent episode, he had Kristen O'Connell from the AUWU on. We mentioned her uh, much earlier in the episode as somebody who was tracking uh, some of the uh, dodgy job ads for the fruit picking stuff. But uh, yeah, she's a fascinating guest and has a, a real just uh, expertise in the in the area of unemployed workers' rights as a, a you know, how'd she end up as a communications person for the AUWU? Probably because she knows her shit. Um, but yeah, really good interview on uh, Tom Ballard's podcast. It's called Like I'm a Six-Year-Old. And uh, look for the episode that's called uh, Kristen O'Connell. Uh, she's really good. Give it a listen. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. We would love to hear from you. You can shoot us an email, notgoodpod at protonmail.com or get in touch with us on the socials. We're everywhere at notgoodpod. But most importantly of all, share us far and wide to everyone that you know would love the podcast and also rate us. It really helps us uh, get new listeners. Not Good Enough was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to the elders and sovereignty was never ceded.